Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests joining me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. You will hear extraordinary examples of courage and failures, regrets and overcoming. But more than that, you're going to have practical ideas to apply in your own life. Before we really get started today, I encourage you to check out more about the Live Inspired community at johnolearyinspires.com. It's where we keep the show notes for this. We have great videos, other podcasts, all kinds of cool things that you can follow along with, including Facebook, Twitter, and everything else socially. So check out more at johnolearyinspires.com. Great way to stay connected. Today's episode, you are going to love. You're going to love it. I get to introduce you to the great Edie Littlefield Sunby and share with you her remarkable journey. Edie and her husband had just mortgaged their home to start a new business when she received a devastating diagnosis, stage four gallbladder cancer with less than 1% chance of survival. But instead of merely surviving her remaining days after more than, listen to this one, one million milligrams of chemo and surgeries, it had left her with only one lung. But Edie decides to set out and attempt the impossible to walk the entire 1,600-mile El Camino Real mission trail from Mexico all the way up to Northern California. It's an incredible story of overcoming, of strength, of faithfulness in action. And we get to hear it today live in studio with Edie herself. So my friends, buckle up. Give yourselves a full, open heart and mind to receive this message today. Welcome to Live Inspired, our newest friend, Edie. Edie, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you, John. Edie, we, I've read the book. I've heard the story. I think your story is simply terrific. For those who may not know a whole lot yet about you or your journey, give us a quick snapshot of where you are today in your journey. Yeah, where I am today is, is uh, uh, to me, every day is a bonus day <laughs> because I've, I've, I've been in a circumstance like you where uh, it was almost taken away from me. And so I, I cherish every single day. And uh, where I am today is where I want to be tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, and that is I want to live as full a life today as I can. I'm with my husband of 42 years. And by the way, he's, he's a huge part of this story uh, because our family and our friends and our, our whole uh, band of angels out there uh, really gets us to where we are in life. And, and is with us all the way. And, and I have uh, lovely children. They're uh, uh, well on their way professionally, uh, in their own homes, uh, living their own lives, and, and, and facing their own life struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I live here in San Diego, and every day, you know, and we'll talk about this once we get into it, but I have one lung, and I do not want to live a diminished life. And so 
every day I try to get up at sunrise and I try to walk the canyons here in San Diego and keep my 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 lung capacity as stimulated and every cell is full with energy and life and breath as I possibly can. Uh, so 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 I have uh, so I can continue to walk and live and breathe. Mm. So, Edie, before every day was a bonus day and before you had only one lung and before you really had this full awakening in your life, why don't, why don't you back all the way up to your childhood and tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what your family was like, what your journey was like in the early stages? Well, I, I'm so fortunate because I grew up on a farm, and I grew up on a cotton farm in rural Oklahoma, in Caddo County, Oklahoma, and as you know, it used to be Indian territory. Hmm. And so, and so the, the, the richness of the culture, uh, the cowboy and Indian culture, is still so very much part of rural Oklahoma. They still have rodeos every weekend. They still have powwows every weekend. And you, can, you can't go through a public park in Oklahoma without hearing Indian drums on the weekend. I mean, it's just absolutely a stimulating place. But I was raised out in the country. The prairie wind would blow me because I also lived right in the center of Tornado Alley. Uh, and, and, and the National Weather Service actually has their tornado tower uh, right on our property <laughs> because we are right in the heart of Tornado Alley. So I grew up with, with not just a little wind. I grew up with a lot of wind. And, and, and I found it stimulating. I found it exciting. I found it mysterious, and I loved to run in the wind. And I used to run barefoot around the farm uh, with my, I was next to the youngest of 12 children. So uh, my younger sister and my brother and I would run everywhere. We'd spook the cows. We'd run to the wheat field. We'd we'd run out to the cotton field to take Daddy his lunch. And and, and all the while, um, we, we, we were just running wild and free. And I uh, and then we'd fall in bed at sunset, yes. totally, totally exhausted. It, it sounds amazing. I'm curious, as you were a little girl running around barefoot on this uh, on this farm, did you realize how how fortunate you were? Did you realize how good your life was? You know, I I think I was happy, and you know, God gives us all gifts in life, and and I've often thought, well, you know, I can't sing, I can't even draw a straight line. So I'm not an artist, you know. Oh, what are my gifts? And, and and I think that my mother once said, she said, Edie, God gave you the gift of joy. And, and and I thought, and I thought back to that so many times, and I'm thinking, you know, it was God that gave me that gift, but it was my mother and my father that nurtured that gift. And how they did it was leaving me alone to discover my own gift and to you know, because joy is something that comes within. It's not something that someone can teach you or something that someone can give you. It's something that must bubble up from inside. And, and my, my parents now set, set me off in life with a, a very strong faith in God, uh, a very strong sense of hard work and values, and, and, and a very strong sense of independence, incredibly strong sense of independence. Yes, clearly. <laughs> now, they don't have time to raise you. <laughs> they're, they're, they're overburdened with work, especially on a farm, uh, with, with work and children. And so, yeah, so they, 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 they kind of like start you off in the right direction, and, and they trust in God to keep you there. You mentioned your husband of 42 years. I'm curious, uh, 43 years ago, what your life looked like. Where did where, you meet your husband? 
I met my husband in IBM. Uh, I was very fortunate in that I I attended uh, the University of Oklahoma, and while I was uh, there at my last uh, few months of, of college, uh, I was recruited by IBM, and uh, it was a wonderful opportunity because IBM uh, allowed me to live many, many different places and see many different things. And and one of the things that I uh, where I went, I met my husband, and he had he was a farm boy from North Dakota, mm. and. Uh, and so he, he had much the same values as, as I was raised with. And we met uh, in Endicott, New York, <laughs> of all places. Right. Who saw that coming? <laughs> and at the time, he was living in Illinois, and I was living in Texas. But we met, met in New York, and, and we just kind of hit it off immediately. And, uh, and, uh, and we, we, we were married within three months. <laughs> What was it? What was it about this this young man that you immediately fell in love with? Well, he was wild and crazy, <laughs> <laughs> and and he also had this inner drive, this inner spirit of just you know looking at life as as an adventure, and 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 you know and that's kind of what we've done for better or for worse, uh, because you know there's a price to be paid for everything. And mm-hmm. and um, and so we we made a lot of changes in our life. We're not afraid of change, uh, uh, and and so we 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 just we live we try to live a life of adventure and approach life as an adventure. You know, when as I was reading your book, one of the things that stood out is I felt like I was in some regards reading an adventure story, the kind that I used to love to read when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, a little boy dreaming about what the future might look like. It is an adventure story. So I, I, I do want to talk about that adventure. We're going to fast forward because I think your journey uh, from 2013 on is so fascinating, so riveting, so worthy of unpacking in the time that we have. Tell the folks who, again, may not have yet checked out the book. First of all, what's the title of it? It's the Mission Walker. Tell me, tell me why, why that title? Okay, what happened to me when, 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 when um, life threw that curveball at me called cancer, stage four gallbladder cancer? Okay, it 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 didn't knock me out. Thank goodness, it didn't knock me out, but it stunned me. I realized very quickly a lot of things, and I realized that I needed to move uh, because I was hit with so much chemo. I was hit with so many surgeries. I was hit with so many emergency rooms and intensive care units and and so much um, care, if you will. But as long as I could move, I wasn't nearly as afraid. Hmm. And as long as I could move, as long as I could walk, I could process massive amounts of chemo. And I drink a lot of water, too. Water and walking allowed me to process ungodly amounts of chemo. And I also think my immune system, growing up barefoot, running barefoot on the farm, I think my immune system was just fortified, if you will. Yes. Uh, It was ready for this when it happened. And, And so, yeah, so it hit me. It hit me hard, but it didn't. And it knocked me down, but it didn't knock me out. I'm curious, you know, I, I think folks generally understand where this story is going to go, but the idea of walking, growing up barefoot, um, drinking a lot of water, continually moving, wh- where did the idea come to 
to take this wild, and I do mean wild. <laughs> it's wild if you're if you're healthy and 19. It's wild. You are a bit more seasoned than 19, <laughs> and there's chemo racing through your veins. W- what gave you this idea to take this 1600 mile journey? Uh, when I was diagnosed with a, a cancer, and and I and I love to walk. Well, I fought for five and a half years. Uh, every three weeks, I had chemo. I had an infusion every three weeks. And I had multiple surgery, and it culminated five and a half years later with the removal of my right lung. I needed to do something extraordinary if I wanted to have an extraordinary life <laughs> lung. I needed to heal, but I needed to heal more than physically, but physically was, of course, at the very top of the list. But I needed to heal emotionally. I needed to heal spiritually. And so um, uh, these, these old mission bells line the, our roads here in California, reminding us of our cultural heritage and the mission trail. And so I decided at, when Stanford Cancer Center removed my right lung, I had this wild, crazy notion that I wanted, it was, I wanted a walk of thanksgiving, a walk of gratitude, a walk of joy. And I wanted to light candles, although I'm not Catholic. I wanted to light candles and, 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 and blessings and prayers at all of these 21 old California Spanish missions that starts in San Diego. So uh, at a cold, rainy day in February of 2013, John, I started out in Mission San Diego, and it took me 55 days of walking. I was gone 58 days, so I took three days off. But it took me 55 days of walking, and I walked on average 15 miles a day. Wow. And in less than two months, I had walked 800 miles to north of San Francisco, to all the 21 missions up the coast, over the mountains, to the valleys, and back again, like a ladder up the coast of California. And I got to Sonoma, and John, a funny thing happened in Sonoma. I'd walked 800 miles, and you know, I didn't want to stop Hmm. walking. (laughs) It it was such a transcendent experience. Who's walking with you? Who's providing aid? How are you, after all that you'd already been through, how are you enduring this trip? Well, you know, we all walk alone together (laughs) in life. We walk alone together. And and on this trip, you know, 800 miles in two months, uh, you go through uh, you go through a lot of relationships. You go through, a, you know, people would come in. Sometimes someone would walk with me an hour. Sometimes people would walk with me a day. One person, uh, Meg Grant, walked with me 200 miles. <laughs> um, my my husband, uh, you know, he, he had business and things to attend to in his own life. And, of course, my children had their own life in college and everything. But like, they'd come and join me for a weekend or they'd come and join me for a week. And my husband was able, uh, luckily, to join me for the last two weeks of the walk just the two of us, which was very, very, very special. Yes. And so, so yes. So uh, many, many times I was out there all alone. And, and often then other times I was walking with a companion. But in a long walk, you never walk side by side. You don't talk. Uh, you are actually walking in your own world because it's an inward journey and it's not an outward journey. Well, well actually, it's both because, you know, you're so alive to the moment. You have to be. Let's take it back to Mexico. I know it was an an incredibly influential aspect of this journey. Anything stand out from that that, that time in Mexico, walking either with a friend or by yourself? Well, in Mexico, it was totally different, John. I was all by myself. 
except for the vaquero, for the, the cowboy that was with me, the Mexican cowboy. I was all by myself. I went to Mexico by myself, and I just had the promise of a, of a, of a cowboy, a vaquero for five days, and I had the promise of a pack mule mm-hmm. for the first uh, 10 days. And, uh, and so it was really a, a walk of uncertainty, a walk of faith. Uh, but these all these it took twenty Mexican cowboys to actually show me to help me find this old trail, this old mission trail, because it was it was a cactus choked. It was yes. there was two hundred years of cactus growth and much of the old El Camino Real Mission Trail, and of course the, the drug smugglers, the narcos, which are very very bad, especially as you get closer to the California border. You run into smugglers, drug smugglers, and people smugglers, and you just don't want to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, but then there are the, you know, there are rattlesnakes, giant centipedes, scorpions, mountain lions, uh, wild bulls, <laughs> wild burros. It's wild. It's the wild, wild west out there in Mexico. I'm, I'm hearing right now my mother say, John, this does not sound like a good idea. You can't go. And I, I see my wife nodding her head, agreeing with my mother. Your physicians, your children, your husband, your friends who, who respect and love you, weren't, weren't some of them saying to you, Edie, this is a terrible idea. You want to walk? I'll meet you at a park. We'll go around the lake a couple times. But, John, I bet you're like me. I bet you, I bet you want to go. You want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do this. You know, you know, we have to have meaning in life. We have to have purpose in life. And this old El Camino Real Mission Trail totally captivated me. It bewitched me, mm. if you will, mesmerized me. Uh, and it still does. And so it's something I had to do. Yes. And, and no, I never told my doctor, my, my, my oncologist at Stanford Cancer Center. Um, he always told me, he said, Edie, don't do anything foolish <laughs> because we've worked so hard to keep you alive. Uh, and I'm sure he would have felt this was foolish. It was a foolish thing to do. Um, but, John, I'd rather die on a mule in Mexico. <laughs> I'd rather die with my boots on walking the old El Camino Real Mission Trail than die in bed or let cancer kill me. Uh that right there is billboard-type material. I'd rather die on a mule in Mexico than in a bed at home. I, I think there's something to be said there. <laughs> so to take take us forward from some of the journey. What what were, what, what, was there a single moment that you were most afraid, either because of something happening around you or something happening within you? Well, you know, these Sierras in Mexico, there are, uh, there were, so every day there was something happening that was, really scary. It got my mind completely off cancer, believe me. And by the way, the, when I went down to Mexico to finish my walk, it was a few months after cancer had come back in my remaining lung. So, so, so cancer came back in my remaining lung, my left lung, and I realized if I wanted to do this, my dream, I had to do it and do it now. And that's one thing that cancer teaches us is don't delay, mm. do it. Whatever your heart desires, do it. And so, yes, and so so when I was down there, there were a couple of moments that just stand out. Uh, these Sierras in Mexico are uh, enormously um, steep and precipices, ravines. Yes. You know, they just it's straight down. And and we had reached the, the one of the highest peaks of Sierra San Francisco, 
And the vaquero had kind of tried to warn me of this, although I didn't speak much Spanish and, and they didn't, they spoke no English, but he had kind of tried to prepare me for, for what this was going to be like. And I'd read some of the old uh, missionary journals, but you're never, again, you're never prepared for what you expect. This is a place called El Prezo, and and it was a 2,000-foot vertical drop straight down, and it was through cactus, Uh, and there was, was, yeah, there was no trail. (laughs) And, of course, the the mules did not want to go. The the uh, the vaquero actually had to um, uh, he had to with all his might try to get the the mules to uh, to plunge down this and he had me go first and all I can remember is as I just I looked at this drop and I knew I just felt it was impossible yes but there's always that Indiana Jones moment in every life where you realize that you can't go back you have to go forward and it's hard to go forward. It's easier to go forward often, as hard as it is, than to go back. And so I, I basically, I had no choice. The vaquero was pushing me forward. And so I, I plunged about 100 feet down on my skid, on my butt, kind of, you know, on my side. Yes. And, and, and the cactus was tearing at me, and I was tearing at the cactus trying to, to stop my, my, my descent. And I remember saying, Lord, have mercy on me. As loud as I could, Lord have mercy on me, and and I found out later that 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 word, the word starts at the beginning there is is called the canyon of uh, of mercy, mm. and I truly believe that every person who's ever ever been in that spot throughout history, English speaking or, or, or Western history, has has said, Lord have mercy on me, to get down that, and 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 um, we made it down. Um, it was so frightening. I was uh, just bloody and torn all over from cactus, dehydrated because you quickly, uh, it was, you know, in the desert and you quickly uh, drink water, especially when you're nervous like that and all. Uh, but yes, but, but you know, I made it through it. Just like with cancer, those most challenging, those most scary times with cancer, just like when Churchill said, when you're going through hell, keep going. And you do. Were there moments, uh, whether it was at the, that prefaces where you felt like you were about to lose your life, literally, or was there a night of just great darkness and loneliness where you, you felt, you know what, it's, it's, I'm turning back. This is just too hard. Well, you know, I often would think because, it, 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 you know, I'd lo- I was losing weight out here. There's no food, hard, hard, there's no food except what the vaqueros would bring when they would show up with a new mule and a new vaquero. And there were some ranchos along the way, but everyone, you know, very impoverished. And they, but they shared with me what they could. So there was no place to buy food. Uh, there was no water for hundreds of miles. And, um, and, and again, I was just, you know, a few months from having the cancer treated in my left lung. Uh, but, you know, it was remarkable because I've had a lot of gastro, a lot of uh, abdominal surgeries. I've lost, I'd lost 60% of my liver. Uh, and, and other things in my in the colon, 10 inches of my colon, two inches of my stomach to surgery. and But, you know, my digestive system never felt better than it did in Mexico. Um, but the, 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 other, the other brutal things, um, I, I think that as we got closer, within two or three or 400 miles of the California border, uh, the narcos, because, you know, cancer is one kind of evil, but I think that the drugs are are the greatest evil, 
that we have in our world today, drugs. And, and the people who sell drugs are tainted by that evil. That evil becomes part of them, too. And and so I actually had a situation where the vaquero, we were in an arroyo, and we had a situation uh, where there, there were narcos in the arroyo, and the vaquero actually left me there in the desert by myself that night. Um, uh, he left because he felt threatened. And uh, But at 4 o'clock the next morning, Another vaquero showed up to to take me another part of the way. Um, so that was a bit scary that situation. But again, it was no scarier than cancer. Uh, I think what's scary is 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 what what is, scary is not what is usually. Yeah, no doubt. Scary is scary is what our minds make us believe it is. I, I hear you and I agree with you, but I'm curious. Under the stars, by yourself, narcos all around. I'm scared. I, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm scared in that in that moment. I would imagine that evening until your your next friend arrived at 4 a.m. that that you had to have been extraordinarily anxious. Yes, but I pray. You know, it's like whenever we find ourselves in an abyss, whatever it is. You know, to me, help prayer helps guide me out. And, and you know, but, but you know, John, again. Cancer has hit me four times. <laughs> Cancer has hit me four times, and 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 I've been to- so terrified. I couldn't. I can't even tell you how terrified you are. You're under siege. You're not a survivor. You're a hostage. I still am. To and I still am. And it's like so. So those kind of outside threats. Uh, y- you know. It. it it just certainly I was scared, but I but I've been through I've been very close to death before with cancer, and, and death is okay. Now I would never want now if someone if a narco was actually there with a machete getting ready to, you know, chop off my arm or my head, I would be terrified, mm-hmm. terrified. But 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 I I. I try to control my wild imagination. What do you What do you do? Because that's something all of us. I, I, not all of us will make this sixteen hundred mile journey. Not all of us will even be diagnosed with cancer or a life threatening challenge in our journey. But we all have reasons to be anxious about something. When those anxieties creep into our mind regarding our spouse, our partner, our life, our work, whatever. Yes. What What advice would you offer all of us who have concerns about tomorrow go for a walk (laughs) (laughs) you know really you you have to pour out the overflowings you have to pour out the overflowings those emotional overflowings um and 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 i truly do find the best way to do that is walking Hmm. um get out of the situation remove yourself from the situation you know that's why you know teachers teach children to to count to sit in a corner, to calm themselves. Uh, and we forget that as adults. Many of us need to be told to sit in a corner, count to 10, and calm ourselves. Um, as long as we can do that and try to to keep our wild scramble thoughts from overcoming us, um, but, but we all get caught up in that. I get caught up in that every day, and it's mm-hmm. usually small stuff. It's the small stuff Frequently. that overwhelms us. Yes, yes. The big stuff, it's like, yeah, uh, th- that um, sometimes the big stuff is uh, you deal with it much better. 
much yeah. better than you do the small stuff. So while, while you are walking this journey, tell me what you're thinking about. What I'm thinking about, you know, it's interesting because uh, when you're walking hundreds, a thousand, 1,600 miles, when you're out there walking such long distances, you, your mind empties of a lot of thought. Hmm. Um, you become in the moment. It, you know, you, 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 you see everything. You feel everything. Uh, you know, in, in a way, you're, you're thinking with your feet. You're, you're hearing with your eyes. You're seeing with your ears. You're so alive. And that's what I love about being outside walking long distances. It's not exercise at all. That's, that's not the point. The point is to, to turn inward, to turn inward and, and, and as you turn outward simultaneously. And to me, it's a communication, it's a connection with God. And that's how I stay connected with God, is walking. And in turning inward, what did you discover? I discovered peace. <laughs> peace. And I also discovered, again, the, the wellspring of joy is that, that inner light that, 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 that ignites our life is all there within. But it gets so noisy in our life and so busy in our life. Walking slows life down. We get out of our box. We're out of the house. We're out of the car. We, we, we slow life down. It's a primal rhythm. It's, it's a basic way. It's how we were, how God made us, really. He gave us two feet. And, and by the way, I might have been missing a lot of my, my abdominal organs. I might have been missing my lung, but God gave me two feet. And thank, thank God for those two feet. You, I, I believe, you discovered that the cancer had come back after completing the first half of the trail. Uh, yes. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, t- tell me, wh- wh- why keep walking? I think I know the answer, but the cancer <laughs> comes back, you're beat down. I am sure your feet are grotesque. They got to be. You're in the heat and the desert and the rocks, and it's, it's a journey. Why keep going when you now know the cancer's back? What was really great here, John, is, you know, life has its own rhythm. And that was two years after I had started the first walk. It was two years. It was February of 2015 that the cancer came back in my left lung. And, and, and so, so it was a different experience uh, 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 in terms of my feet had healed from the walk. My, yeah. uh, although, and I was still walking every day. But, you know, I had left something undone. And the nice thing about cancer, <laughs> unlike a, a fiery accident, like what happened with you as a young child, is the nice thing about cancer is that it gives us time to, to heal relationships. It gives us time for reflection, whether it's a day, a week, or a month, or a year, or whatever. It gives us time to 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 finish things if you will and 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 I needed to finish my mission walk I needed to go to Mexico I needed it so it was it was it was so strong it was a heartfelt need mm. not a want it became a heartfelt need 
something in my soul, my spirit, wanted it so bad. So you completed the the next 800 miles, too? Which Yes. You know, I'm, I'm no math guy. 800 plus 800. We're looking at about 1,600 miles that you have walked with your two feet, your one lung, your one life. Tell me, when you got to the end of the journey and the beginning of the next chapter, uh, how had you changed? I felt empowered because, uh, you know, again, you live a life of fear, uh, under siege, a hostage to cancer, coming back. And, and, and so one thing I realized so strongly in that walk is I realized that in, in many respects, we're in control of our fear uh, because, because fear is not in the moment. Fear is in the mind. Fear, fear is in the anxiety, the anticipatory worry, grief, whatever, angers, you know, whatever those emotions are. In there is where, is where fear resides, too. And, 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 and to a certain extent, we can, we can do things, like for me, walking to quiet that fear and thus to control it, and, which is very empowering, it's very empowering physically, and it and actually in a way it has strengthened my my soul, my my body, my character, to allow me the next time that cancer hits me again, which inevitably it does with incurable stage four cancer, it to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know what that means. I won't know until that time happens, but I have faith, tremendous faith in God. I have faith in my body. I have faith that what will be will be, and all is well. Whatever happens, all is well, always. <laughs> uh, my friends, listening at home and on the commute to work, that might be worth remembering. All is well, always. It's a, it's a great reminder not only of the walk, but of the journey afterwards. You, you you mentioned this, but just to call it out again, you still have cancer. It's still stage four cancer. You're, in some regards, sick, and in some regards, you're dying. What's the hardest part of, of living with cancer? Hey, John, we're all dying. <laughs> I yeah, You know what? The reason I don't mind talking about it is because is I actually enjoy Once you realize that, you can yeah. finally start living. So I, I don't mind talking about terminal cancer with you or burns with me or whatever else it might be going on because that that's life. And when you wake up to that truth, it also allows you to wake up to the gift of right now. So I'm, I'm with you. We are all dying. So t- tell me, since you are acutely familiar with this, what is the hardest part of living with that truth, though? The hardest part, again, is the uncertainty. It's not knowing when it's going to hit you again, you know, being under siege. Is a siege is the is one of the most effective battlefield strategies uh, because it it the terror that it uh, that it puts in people's hearts who are under siege, and and so so what 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 is the hardest thing to deal with is not knowing what is within, not knowing if the cancer has sprouted again, not you know so so every little ache, every little pain, everything that happens to you, you you can you know you, you can you anticipate it. You think, oh my God, it's there again. Every night, uh, you know, I have, I have physical issues because I've had so many surgeries and everything. And every night, even now, I think, oh my gosh, that's the cancer. The cancer's back again, and 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 so it just seizes your heart with terror, 
And and uh, so the hardest thing is living living with uncertainty. But again, uncertainty I feel can strengthens our faith. Um, and what that means is that I'm uncertain when cancer is going to come back, but I have faith that when cancer comes back, that all is well. <laughs> that whether and you know whether I die or I live. Um, all is well. Um, we, I do know that we are so fortunate in our country in that, and my doctor has been very open and honest with me, even with the, the most virulent cancer, you can have a relatively pain-free death. I find that comforting because I've been in a lot of pain. I don't like pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like pain. And, 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 and so our doctors, our, our doctors are very compassionate and caring and, 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 and they will do what we want to do. It, whatever we want to do, our doctors uh, will, will be there with us. Um, and, and again, I love life so, so very much. But, but I'm a very accepting now. I've always been accepting of death. I'm not doing this because I'm afraid of death. I'm, I'm doing this because I love life. <laughs> Edie, what what have those closest to you, husband, children, dear friends, what what have they learned from your walk? I think that it gives them hope. It gives them hope that when that curveball hits them, that it doesn't have to knock them out. It can knock them down, that they've seen me get up and punch back. And I think whatever enemy you're faced in life if you can just get up and punch back that you know well done well done (laughs) (laughs) well done mission walker i I think that is a a phenomenal way to pivot to uh seven questions that we have asked every sojourner that has sat on the live inspired couch so my friend Edie, you you get to join us now on this walk through what we call the live inspired seven so I, I know you've been through some difficult things in life. You've had a wild journey to where you are right now, but get buckle up, get ready for the journey forward. Edie, what is the best book that you have ever read? The best book I've ever read is the Bible. Any any aspect within it that is uh, your favorite, whether it's a book or a passage, a, a quote? Ecclesiastes. I, re- I love Ecclesiastes. Of course, I like Proverbs and Psalms, too. Uh, but but uh, there's something about Ecclesiastes that, to me, just it helps with the uncertainty. It's it's it, you know it, the, the message of the the teacher, the prophet yes. who wrote uh, Ecclesiastes is really while alive live. Yes. So and, you know a lot of folks think it's dark and uh, and like you, I think it is one of the most rich alive <laughs> pieces from within the entire Bible. It's awesome. Fascinating. It, it's wonderful. And and it also reminds us that very few things are in our control. Yeah, right. Um, it, it, but it's okay. It's You know, there's a time and a purpose for every season under heaven. Uh, 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 and, and, and to me, that again is all is well. All is well. Edie Littlefield Sunby, you discover tomorrow that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103 leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth? Wow, I'd probably go out and have a, a Baskin-Robbins ice cream with um, <laughs> whipped cream on top. <laughs> well, that'll burn through a little bit. Any, anything after that? You know, money doesn't change how we live. 
I'd buy the camper van. I don't want to have a zip code. I want to live in a camper van. And I can do that without my uncle dying and leaving. <laughs> I am going to do that. Um, I, I, it, I don't think it would change my life that much, actually. Beautiful. I, I don't, I'd probably share a lot of it because, yeah, because it's fun to do that, you know. <laughs> uh, Edie, if your house caught fire or your camper van with everything in it, um, although the people, your husband, your children, your dear friends, you, you had escaped all of your belongings are about to go up and smoke in this house. Is there one thing that you might go back in for? What, what's the one physical item that you think is worthy of, uh, of bringing back out of that house? Not one thing. Not uh, one thing. Nothing from your trip, Not your family, physical. your experience in Oklahoma? Not, nothing jumps off as being a, a beautiful heirloom? Nothing. Nothing, because things are not what I hold in my heart. Mm. Uh, what, I, what I have is in my heart. Uh, that's what I hold on to, the memories, the, the beautiful moments. I don't need a photograph, you know. I don't need a memento. Uh, my mother is in my heart. Sure, I would love to have her Bible with me at all times, because when I hold her Bible, I'm holding her. Uh, but but no, but that's not necessary even. It's nothing, nothing. It- if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would it be? My mother. <laughs> Tell me about your mom. My mother, you know, I believe in angels and I believe in saints. And I believe that because my mother was an angel and a saint. <laughs> my mother was the oldest of 12 children. Uh, she was raised in a her father was an itinerant sharecropper farmer. Uh, they had nothing. She was raised in a two-room shack down by the river with a dirt floor, but that floor was so clean that they could have eaten off of it. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother raised them kind of like a military. They all had a, a job to do. My mother had to bake the bread and iron the clothes, and, and she took pride in that her entire life, how good she could bake bread and how good she could iron clothes. Yeah, it, it, she never really wanted for anything. She had nothing, but she never wanted for anything. Mm. Uh, her goal in life was to be a good Christian. And that's the hardest goal in, imaginable. And my mother came as close to realizing her goal as anyone on earth. Mm. And what she left me with was so much more than what a, a, a 103-year-old uncle who might die and leave me with $3 million. No, my mother left me with nothing physically. Well, I do have one thing that mother left me with. Well, she didn't leave us. She didn't leave us anything. We kind of chose among ourselves when she passed away what we wanted. And what I chose for my mother is, you know, my mother had always made her own clothes, and she made them out of flour, sacks. You know, used to buy flour in sacks, and it was beautiful cotton material, the most beautiful yes. fabrics and, and patterns. And she made all of our clothes. She made all of her clothes. And every time she made something, she saved a little remnant of, the, of that flour sack material. So when she died, there was, there was a whole sack of these remnants. And some of them were back when she was in college in the thir- 1930s. And by the way, my mother went to, was able to go to college by working as a hired girl in people's homes and, 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 and having books in the library. She was that kind of person. She defied all probabilities. But anyway, back to these, these flower sack pieces uh, of dress, flower sack material. So I asked for that. I said, I want Mama's sack of flower sack 
remnants. And so, so I had um, two, three elderly cousins, uh, Littlefield cousins, who were master quilters. And, and those three lovely cousins of mine, who loved my mother enormously, Aunt Dory, they would call her. They loved Aunt Dora so much. And they said this was the greatest honor. They took these flower sack remnant pieces, and they pieced together two beautiful quilts, two just the most amazing quilts. And as I look at these, these, this quilt, and that's what a quilt is, it's memory. Yeah. I can see the dresses that I knew my mother wore. I can see my dress when I was four years old that my mother made me. I can see a piece of, you know, I can see the same fabric that I see on my mother's college graduation photo in 1936. You know, in that quilt is my mother's life. Mm. And I have that quilt, and I will pass them, those two quilts on to my children and their children's children. And so my mother and her life will live on, and it will provide tremendous comfort because there's nothing softer and more comfortable than an old quilt. You, know, you, you may not have gone back into the house for anything physical, but, but just know neighbor O'Leary <laughs> saw the smoke. I just pushed you out of the way, and I'm coming back out of the flames with two quilts. <laughs> Because you were too lazy to go back in and get them, I I, uh, I don't know if I've ever heard as beautiful a share on someone that they want to have a conversation with. And we've had a lot of guests hang out with us in, in the Live Inspired Studio. You, you, your passion for life and your passion for the journey and your passion to choose life over death has been contagious, and yet you you take it to a, a sacred level when you started talking about your your incredible mom. So we appreciate you doing that. And just, just three more questions. What's the best advice that you've ever received? I think is is really it's advice from my heart. It's advice from Ecclesiastes. It's advice from my mother. It's advice from that blows in the wind and in the dust. And that is while alive, live. While alive, live. What would you tell your twenty year old self? All is well. <laughs> All is well. Edie, tell, tell, tell us what that means to you all as well. Yes, because, you know, a, a lot of life is reproachment. A lot of depression is reproachment where you, you, you know, because we're not perfect. We're, we're imperfect. God made us imperfect. But, but he made us spiritually perfect. But he made us imperfect, you know. And, 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 and I think our, our life is just a journey to try. It's a spiritual journey. And, and and all is well because we have to make mistakes. That's how we learn. That's how we grow strong. That's how we prepare for what's ahead of us. And we're all, we we're so ignorant, but we are all doing the best we possibly can. Everyone. And so so when you meet someone who's angry, they're they're angry for a reason. And try to understand and have compassion not that you want to feed that anger but you don't want to can you know you don't and you don't you don't ever want to tolerate bad behavior idiot has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence how would you like your one sentence to read when she was alive she lived <laughs> <laughs> Edie littlefield sunby uh the the mission walker Great overcomer, phenomenal daughter, spouse, mother, writer, speaker. 
and guests on the Live Inspired podcast. We have been so grateful you shared some of your time, some of your life with us today. John, I just have to say that you know, I've had quite a few interviews, but this has just been one of the most delightful times that I've spent in an interview. And, and I think it's because you have such an understanding, such a deep, deep understanding of what this spiritual journey is all about. And, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart to letting me walk with you the last hour. My friends, that great sojourner, that marathon walker, that overcomer is Edie Littlefield Sunby. She has a phenomenal book. Edie, tell us one more, one more time the name of your book. The Mission Walker. Where can we learn more about it? I have a Facebook page, The Mission Walker. I have a website, themissionwalker.com. And uh, yeah, the book, the book is available everywhere. It's available online. It's available at your local bookstores. Hopefully your library will have it. I think every place is going to have it, and it's going to spread as it goes forward. So Edie Littlefield-Sumby, that was you. My friends, this is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Keep walking and live inspired. I, I, I kind of forewarned you on the front side that our guest was going to be spectacular, and yet, like you, I, I really don't know what to expect. Th- these are new friends that I'm meeting along the journey of life, and I'm trying to bring them into your life in the hopes that they will encourage and instruct and elevate and maybe even equip you to do your journey, your walk, your challenges, your relationships, your your life even better afterwards. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you, and I have a blast every single time walking with you, do me a favor, rate the show. Yeah, start there. But more than that, share the show. You can share the the Cliff Note version through our Live Inspired community. Learn more about that at johnolearyinspires.com. You can tell the folks that you work with, you worship with, you, you do life with, you walk with about John O'Leary and the guests that he has on. You can share our stuff through social media. You, you can learn more about all of the work that we do here at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Let's keep walking forward together. Whew, my friends, I, I am exhausted after taking that walk with Edie, and I am ignited forward for life. I appreciate you being with me on this podcast Looking forward to being with you next time. So for this time, and until next time, this is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired.